Um, welcome back to Veterans Voices with Joe and Steve-O. This is Joe, and we are here for season two, episode two of, uh, of our season. Go ahead, Steve-O. Say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. It's good to see you again. So, um, so Joe had an uh, interesting um, uh, email he sent me yesterday about an experience he had at the VA that... Um, uh, I know, was... Go ahead, I was okay. super frustrated with the VA yesterday. So for our show, we've decided in season two, we're going to try to do a little bit of a new format where you, when we come on, we're going to talk just about like VA and experiences. And I think my, um, my experience yesterday was a great example of being your own advocate at the VA. So I'm sure that those of you who are, who are veterans out there know that you can get care either at a VA facility or in care in the community, right? So once they send you out in the community, it's a different network and you go through like a care and a community provider and that's all well and good. My experience now, and Steve-O can back this up, is that sometimes when we are dealing with the VA on one hand and the care and the community provider on the other hand, these two organizations talk to each other and they don't necessarily get back to the veteran with information that is needed. Uh, I was out for an appointment yesterday. I showed up at the appointment and they said, hey, like we talked to the VA this morning and this appointment isn't authorized. The authorization has not been processed. And I was like, well, when was that? And they go, was it 10 in the morning? Really? It's two o'clock now and I'm at the VA. So why would you have the VA and the provider talk to each other and then not come back to the veteran and say, hey, like you can't go to your appointment today. It's been canceled. And in these times of COVID, obviously, I'm going to an outside provider in, a, in Honolulu in like a big healthcare, in the big Straub healthcare network. There's a whole bunch of doctors and a big parking garage. And it kind of runs like a hospital. It is a hospital. It runs like a hospital. So you show up there and you have to you know, park and then walk through a bunch of places where there's a whole bunch of people where you, that you haven't been around and you're wearing your mask and, and you have to do that whole thing. Um, so to take a vet and, and, and I'm fine, like that, that's fine. I'm going for a medical appointment, I get it. But to then expose me or any vet to this without having called me to tell me, hey, my appointment is actually canceled and I showed up for no reason and I paid three bucks for parking. That, that's a big deal, but I still paid three bucks for parking, right? And then you go and you don't get, you don't get anything done. All you do is waste a couple hours of your life and expose yourself to a whole bunch of people that you wouldn't necessarily be around. It's very, very frustrating. So um, again, this takes us back to, you have to just keep talking to the VA. You have to be your own advocate. And if you can't be your own advocate and you need help with that, there's resources out there that you should reach out to, to be your advocate for the VA. So that is my experience yesterday. That is my soapbox that I was on. I'll turn it over to Steve-O if he wants to say anything about his experiences. So, so I don't think we have enough podcast hours for that. But, but I will tell you that, so what you went through is, is all too common. So it's- All too it, common. It is all too common. And, and um, you know, I get that every day. So it's funny that it seems like I live, live for the VA system because, you know, I have issues that come up. And, and again, like, like you're saying, it's funny that with the whole COVID thing, I'll get a call from the VA and they'll go, hey, we've got an appointment for you for a, for a this or a that, right? A test or 
to see a doc and I'll go, so I'll go and I go through all the rigmarole to get through into the place, make sure that I'm not carrying a disease. And, uh, and then when I get to the place, I go in and I'm able to see a doc, right? Then, the, then, then I'll get a, an appointment from another doctor that works in the same hallway. And, and then he'll say, well, you've got to get a COVID test before you can come and see me. And I go, well, why do I got to get a COVID test to see you? I didn't have to see the guy in the office next to you. And then I realize is that they're letting every doctor make their own decisions about their own, their own guests, which is us. Um, that's a problem. Or they'll call me and they'll say, um, hey, you know, I know you have an appointment like you had, but we can't see you now because the doctor's not seeing anybody. So we're going to send you out in town. Um, and you're going to get a call from community care like, like you had. And then which you may or may, which you may or may not ever get. Right, which I never get. So then I have to call them and beat them down and beat them down and beat them down. And then, like you said, um, you you know, I just had an MRI yesterday, and 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 they called me. They did call me, the the the, the contractor, but they called me like every day to confirm the the appointment every day. And I said, why are you calling me? I just we confirmed this. And they go, oh, well, because the, or the VA sent in another order. I go, is it for a different thing? And they go, no, it's for the same thing. I go, you guys got to stop calling me. I, I have the appointment on this day, this time I'm going to be there. Like you said. And then, I'm, and then if I ever hear from the doctor, like for the results, you know, then what do you do? I mean, it is a nightmare. And you're right. If you don't advocate for yourself, if you don't know what your issue is, like think about all the vets who are out there who don't want to, don't know how to deal with it or they're not assertive. They're, yeah. not a, they're not a pain in the ass like and, you and and you're absolutely right because it does depend on the outside provider because some some people oh, like they call they call and remind and it's it's constant and some people never call and then don't call when they cancel you right. the other thing that kind of killed me in this case was this appointment was previously scheduled it was canceled because the doctor stopped seeing patients due to covid and then by the time it was the reason that i wasn't able to be seen yesterday was because when they rescheduled it it had gone past the original authorization for that was provided by the doctor, even though it was canceled by the doctor due to COVID. It was, I guess, I guess it was my responsibility to realize that this had expired and go back and fix it, which to me is baffling because you don't, you don't know, like no one tells you the veteran doesn't, the doctor doesn't tell you that. Well, so, so look, so, so, so there's a couple of takeaways here. So there's a lot of uh, takeaways. So first off, anybody who's watching this, I, I want to, to, if you don't have any experience with the VA or you're new to it, like Joe's been two years now, this is his primary healthcare system. I've been dealing with him for many years, for, uh, for a decade. Um, At least. So I, so I would say this, if you think that the whole COVID thing just kind of like, you know, muddied it up a little bit and you understand that, you should realize that this is the way the VA is pre-COVID and yeah. they're going to be this way post-COVID. So the, the takeaway is, is like Joe said, if you don't know what you, what you need and what you're, what you're doing, if you don't second guess these people and make them do their job, then you're going to get lost in the system. You're never going to get the stuff done. The other thing is that this should be a lesson for anybody who wants, um, who, who wants government healthcare. This is it. <laughs> this is what you're going to get. The stuff that Joe and I are dealing with. Yeah. It's, it doesn't cost us anything. Um, some vets it does, but for us it doesn't. But um, but this is what you're getting, folks. You're waiting in line. So you want to get to the head of line? You become the biggest voice in the room, right, Joe? Yeah. I mean, I I, I, I I for one feel like we live in a country where everybody 
you know, we clearly have enough money to give everybody healthcare. Like that's not something that should be too hard for our country to figure out, but community healthcare and, you know, it, healthcare being run entirely by the government is not right. necessarily the model that we want to right. move to because that's anything, right. I, my, my humble opinion of government is anything that's run by the government is, is a overbearing bureaucracy of disorganization where people don't necessarily talk to each other or necessarily really care about the care that they're providing. They care about getting their eight hours in at work and they care about making sure they fill out their TPS forms properly. Um, but that's like, you know, that's, that's, the, that's their primary focus, yeah. not necessarily the care you're getting. Yeah, so that, so that actually will be a great discussion for us in the future about what, because I agree with you, I would love to see everybody, everybody who needs healthcare should get healthcare. And um, I just think that it should be somewhat of a hybrid. Maybe the government pays it, it for needs it. To be a it needs to be a hybrid yeah. system the where system everyone has access. Everyone needs to have access right. to health And that's the key, is access to quality, top-notch health care. I should be able to, American citizen, you should be able to have the same health care that your senators and congressmen get. Because I promise you, it's, it's, it's high-quality stuff, right? They're getting the, yeah. they're getting the best drugs. So, so you want to make sure that you're not going to the guy down the street who's making drugs in his backyard. You want the, you want the guy who, who they're using. So, right. I mean, I'm looking for a metaphor. That's my metaphor. Uh, yeah. The guy, the guy down the street making drugs in his backyard. That's right. that's, you don't want that. Guy. So, so, okay. Uh, so anyway. you're going to introduce our next guest, Steve. We're going to yeah. do season yes. two, episode two, Veteran Voices with Joe and Sivo. Tell us yeah. who we have as a guest today. Yeah, so today we're, inter we're interviewing John Cannon. So John is a retired Navy commander. Um, John is a, is a great guy you're going to see. He's a lot of fun. Um, we, we really, um, we picked kind of a subject that is, that, is, that is light, especially with all the stuff going on today. We need kind of a lighthearted little adventure. So, um, so, you know, I served during the Cold War, and I remember growing up, and Joe probably got the tail end of it. Um, you, you know, when we were, it was all about the spy craft and about our common enemy, which was the Soviet Union, right? And Joe and I were talking a minute ago about, you know, like all the drama on TV in those days, in the 80s, was Ronald Reagan getting up there and, and, and reminding all of us that the nukes were coming and that he was our number one defense. And, 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 and trust me, everybody took it seriously, but the, but, and it was in your face, but it was also kind of fun and, and it wasn't like, you didn't worry about it every day. We didn't have 24 hours of, of um, every second was about, you know, Russia and China coming to get us. We just knew it was there. And then, um, so we talk about that. So we're going to talk a little bit about to John about the spy craft and about media and about all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, kind of a sexy look back at the past of, you know, kind of what I, I wish times were like today. Right. So um, anyway, so that's what we're doing. So, um, so we hope you enjoy it. Um, Joe and I are back and, um, and, and we're going to have fun with this and make sure that you let us know what you think, good or bad or indifferent. You know, we want to know that you're out there and, and that we can help you. Um, and, and again, Joe, we're going to be talking about some serious stuff too uh, here in coming issues. So, or episodes, right? Yeah, right. So, so here we go. That's right. We're in the digital age. We're using episodes and not issues. That's right. So, so uh, Joe, you want to like take us out? So, so here's our guest uh, today, John Cannon. Enjoy everybody. Yeah, where cool. I live. So, so John, so you want to give us a little, little um, up to date on who you are? Yeah, sure. Um, nice to, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. 
Um, just retired recently, 31 years in the Navy. Um, and prior to that, a lot of, as my mom used to say, my lost years. So uh, um, just let's just get on with the conversation. Congratulations on your retirement. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so it's quite a relief, right? It's, um, I noticed that you're getting a little shaggy. You're starting to look like a homeless guy. I'm, I'm loving it, actually. This is, my, my wife pointed out recently that I think this is the longest hair I've had since 1987. So the, the problem I have is that my hair is falling out at a rate faster than it grows. So I think it's reached its maximum length. You know. Give it another month and it, it, may, it may all come out. I had to put on a hat this morning because mine was like down in front of my eyes. So I just <laughs> threw everything back and threw on a, the headset. The headset's new for season two. So I, apparently oh, I can hear myself better and the, we can hear the mics better and we can right. do all that kind of good stuff. But we also wanted to kind of lighten it up a little bit. So, so um, I came up with this idea to talk about um, something that I've been doing, which during the COVID, the COVID lockdown years now that we have, which seems like years, um, people are watching a lot of TV, right? <laughs> so, so I've been watching this TV show called um, A Berlin Station, which is like a spy intrigue show on Epics or Amazon. And, um, but it made me think about like coming up like in the Cold War days and like John, you can attest to this. I think Joe's a couple years younger than us, but, um, but you know, life was, you know, like people don't think about all of the, the drama that we had back in those days, even if it was kind of subtle um, about the threat that was over us all when we would have to have, you know, nuclear bomb drills and hide under your desk, like that was going to make any difference <laughs> if a bomb dropped. But, but, um, but, but uh, you know, I was always been kind of intrigued by that. So I started looking at like um, movies from the past and stuff. And um, one of the ones that was most most interesting to me was this movie Falcon and the Snowman back in the 80s and I remember I worked in a in a comm center and, and like in an intel shop and, and we were told one day my our boss came in and he said everybody has to read this book Falcon and the Snowman you have to read it because it's got code words in it and it's and it's got um you know spy stuff and and you know it's probably we're not allowed to talk about it but you got to read it so you remember that that kind of right John Oh, absolutely. And, you know, this was a, a time where, you know, growing up, you, you, you grew up understanding you were simply never going to visit a third of the world. You know, China, Soviet Union, Eastern Europe was, was off hands. You were literally never going to go there. And you simply accepted that as it was always going to be that way. Um, you, you mentioned Falcon and the Snowman. I, you know, during my lost years, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was hitchhiking about and I was living in Mexico uh for a while in Cuernavaca and I was at a bar and met somebody who got sick and uh, they had been they were an, an extra in a movie so I was asked hey you want to come down and fill in this part so on that day I was hired and I was actually in Falcon and the Snowman as an extra as somebody who um had absolutely no concern or interest in the subjects that we're talking about <laughs> just uh, a 20 year old who's uh living in Mexico drinking a lot of beer was that your pre-Navy days? Uh, that's an, actually an excellent question. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. I, I went from that to becoming a banker in, uh, it was chemical banking, now it's J.P. Morgan Chase into, into the Navy. Um, but the Falcon and the Snowman was, was a fascinating uh, spell just because for a couple of days, you know, got to see what 
that world was like in Hollywood's view. And to see that carry over into movies like, uh, was it Berlin uh, Station or Atomic Blonde or, you know, movies like that, which are all good movies, but they all ask you to stretch your imagination. You agree that we agree that this is fictional. You know, I, I, it's a wonderful series, by the way, Berlin Station, but I, you know, I, I, I doubt the inside of the uh, government bureaucracy is full of the latest computers and the, <laughs> you know, everybody drives a BMW. Well, right. That, that was pro probably the part that troubled me the most was I kept thinking and watching that show that, you know, these guys are living in like private quarters. Like I know being overseas that the government kind of controls everything if you work for the government. So I would imagine that at the State Department or the CIA or whatever that Berlin station is, that they'd probably be living in a controlled um, building or something or floor. So... No, no, in, in, in a place like Berlin, living out in town, of course, you know, places, you know, a little more desolate, you know, it'd be controlled. But in, in, in Western Europe, oh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you, I would imagine if you get on the, you know, the transit system in, in D.C. and look at the, the poor working stiffs, you know, commuting to work, that's your, that's your person. And they're living in that kind of home. Right, right. Well, so. I don't so, know. I mean, in my travels dealing with people in the State Department when I was, so for two years of my career, when I was in Europe, I was on the flag staff. So we just traveled around and basically went to dinner parties. Like that was sort of our job, I, I think. It was it was right before the Libya thing went down. So we were in this time of, of just cocktail party engagement around the world. And we did a little bit of stuff. And, yeah, well, I actually, you and I were on the staff at the same time, but I was, I worked at, uh, in Bagnoli at the NATO base. Oh, okay, okay. And you were a capo, right? That's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. So we were there at the same time, and 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 it was great. So like when we'd go to, we did Germany a, a couple times. Went to Berlin. The embassy there is beautiful. Like everybody was set up in like a really nice place. And you'd end up in any of these countries at you know the Navy attaché or the, the defense attaché's house, and they always had these pretty sweet government subsidized oh, oh oh so so yeah so there are two types and i believe so when i was in in kenya you know there's a there's a um there are designated personnel at embassies and they are the host and yes who are designated as host as you as you just described live in truly wonderful quarters because they are hosting delegates all the time in fact i believe there, there's a requirement several days out of the week to do that so Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And then, so our, so we're talking about the people that were not necessarily on the <laughs> roster. Right. <laughs> right. The yeah. other folks who did not want to associate or, I mean, professionally be known, uh, right, the, the guy in the end of the bar who you, you'd never guess, you know, that's the guy right. we're talking about. Right, which, 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 is, which is kind of what really intrigued me about all of this was, like, back in the, again, back in the 70s and in the 80s, uh, being in the military, even if you were like, you know, you know, young and stupid, you know, kid, you know, wearing one stripe or something, there were there were definitely people out there who were kind of interested in you. Even if you were nobody, there was a chance that you had access to somebody. So so I remember once I was, you know, like 18 and I was on a train and um, going to Tokyo one day and this Japanese kind of weird Japanese guy he just starts talking to me. Right. Which would happen a lot in Japan because 
everybody wants to speak English or, or practice it. So this, I remember the guy going, stopping me and saying, you know, just start speaking English to me. And then by the end of the train ride, you know, I was like, he was inviting me to go like to, to, to go to the clubs. So I was like, Hmm, this is kind of cool. Like I don't have to pay for drinks or anything. Right. Like it, yeah, <laughs> don't even go there, Joe. There was nothing funny going on. No, nothing nefarious. <laughs> Steve was about to tell us the story about how he got roofied in Japan. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so um, yeah, so let me get my head back in, in gear there. But, but I remember, you know, I tell you, so, you know, befriend this guy, you know, and, and, um, you know, in Japan, if, if you met Japanese people, you take, they take you out drinking, you would always, they would always want like a, a bottle of Johnny Walker Black or something, right? So, you know, for 20 bucks, I could buy a bottle of Johnny Walker Black. It was like, hundred bucks for them. So I remember buying them a bottle of booze, takes me to a, to a, to a disco. And, and then, and then we're talking and then out of the blue, he just starts talking to me in phonetics, like alpha, bravo, tango. Like he's spelling things out to me, like, like it's a code. And I was thinking, wow, this is freaking really weird. Like what's, what's this guy's trip? And then like the, but, but I didn't think of it cause I'm having a good time. The next day I get a call and he says, Hey Steve, could you, um, could you uh, get me a phone book from the base? And I'm thinking, that's kind of odd. Phone book from the base. Why would you want a phone book from the base? So the next day I went to work and I called the OSI, the um, Office of Special Investigations at the Air Force. And I told them about this guy. And then um, and I remember them telling me, um, okay, you know, we're going to look into this person and, um, and we're going to get back to you. And then about a week later, I get a call from the, at work and somebody says, hey, Steve, you, your Uncle Bob's on the phone. I'm thinking, Uncle Bob, like, I don't have an uncle Bob. Like I'm in Japan. Like I don't have any family. Like how could they even find me? And it's this OSI agent. So he starts telling me, "Hey, we're gonna like give the guy the phone book and and you know we we checked him out. He's this Japanese Air Force Colonel and he's we think he's a Soviet spy and all this. So so like for the next couple months, I'd get like I'd get a call from Uncle Bob. I'd have to go and and meet him at the post office he'd flash his car lights at me and i'd follow up the mountains and we'd go in a corner and in a little bar in the in, in little japanese bar and we and i'd debrief him and i and then and then one day i, I thought it was kind of cool because i'm 19 right or 18 and and i remember thinking this is a little bit too odd like this is too much like a movie so i went and i told this um this major that i work with who was totally paranoid like completely untrusting of the government right He'd, I think he'd, he'd, you know, Vietnam vet, you know, been, you know, maybe around too many explosions or something. And he told me, he goes, Steve, he goes, you know, they're going to, you know, what's going to happen. They're going to have you go out one day. They're going to, you're going to give some information that they want you to give them. And then they're going to arrest them. And then you're going to be, you're getting arrested too. And they're going to deny that they ever knew you. He goes, or he goes, you're going to get like, you're going to get killed and thrown in a river. And then they're going to find you with 20 stab wounds in your back. And they're going to say it was suicide. He goes, you better protect yourself. And I remember going to the OSI agent and going, hey, I, I got to you know, get like some protection or something. Like, does anybody know I'm doing this for you guys? And he goes, you can't tell anybody. I said, well, maybe a letter or something like from the commander. And he goes, you can't tell anyone. If you do, then we'll prosecute you. And, and I remember going to my commander right away. And my commander calls up the OSI commander. And they said, hey, leave this guy alone. He's like, he's got one strike, right? You're like, what are you using him for? And it turned out it was like this rogue agent. OSI guy who was just going to use me to get like who knows. Oh no, know? no, he he recognized raw skill. He was obviously <laughs> trying, to, trying to recruit you for for what you were made to do. See, but this stuff would never like you would think it would never happen. Um, but 
that stuff does happen. And, oh, I, you know, uh, I, absolutely. I, I, it's like when we were in Naples, I, I once went somewhere and I, it was like a last minute, quick, get on a plane and go somewhere. So I, I been to this capital, like checked into this hotel, it's probably two in the morning. And I had like uh, one of those, you know, two in the morning, crumpled business suit, sweaty, stank, you know, hair is all over the place. And I'm in this elevator going up to my room, you know, like the biggest sad sack in the universe. And the door opens up in this statuesque woman, young 20s, and I'm, what, I think 49 at the time, gets on the elevator and says to me in the most enthusiastic voice, hi, what do you want to do tonight? I just want a lottery ticket here and I just don't know what to do. And I, I look at the mirror and all those training classes come back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> have a good night <laughs> you know uh, so yes they, they do happen yeah yeah so so anyway so i so i was thinking that you know it's kind of an interesting subject matter and then and then when i watched like berlin station because they take themselves so seriously back in the 70s and 80s and probably even before that you know a lot of those movies were really serious like three days of the condor was like you know completely anti anti-government right it was really a leftist view of that whole of that whole genre but but um but you know we were surrounded by it and then like the so that so the my favorite movie of all time from those days a, a spy movie is called it's called you probably never heard of it it's called hopscotch and hopscotch was about a disgruntled cia agent who gets hates his boss so he's a typical government worker and he just hates his boss his boss is a douchebag and um and he decides that um, his boss is trying to get him out of the field and um, and put him behind a desk. So he decides that he's going to write a he's going to write a tell all book about the CIA. And he starts sending out these chapters to all of the intelligence people and all the agencies around the world. And every week they get this and they're all and all of the all of the, the antics that he's that he's exposing are like it's all inside stuff. But it's all centered around his boss. Like, so all the bad shit that happens is always tied to his boss. So he's exposing them and embarrassing them. So they decide that they're going to go and they've got to kill him, right? And it's really funny. It's got Walter Matthau in it. it you know, he's just kind of this bumbling. It sounds know. like it echoes, uh, what's the, the movie, uh, Burn After Reading? Uh, oh, is that that way too? It, it, uh, you know, it's a, uh, right, bumbling, bumblingness, you know, in, in the government. But, you know, it's funny that all these movies, you know, they... It, I tend to look back um, at the movies of the 70s and 80s of the Cold War and agencies and things like this. And I talk and I, and I tend by my own generational prejudice, you know, to believe them more. But at the time, the, the fact of the matter is when I was watching them in the 70s, and 80s, I, I had no basis to, to believe them other than my own prejudice. Whereas today I look at the Berlin station and things just flare out at me about what's wrong with them. And the, the fact of the matter is they're, they're equally flawed you know it's just that with experience you now can see the things but to but to kids today and general audiences today who are looking at it at, at berlin station today or atomic blonde which is a great movie but just fun um you know they, they look at it with the same vision that we were looking at it you know being an 18 year old kid in japan you know well i think i think hollywood has a history of not really ever getting it exactly right which is which is both good and bad for us in the long right. run when we're serving. Right. Well, and yeah, and I think that, you know, be, with our experience in the military or working for the government, um, they really are serious. Like 
you know, they take that stuff very seriously. And, you know, and, and today it's all, it's, it's all really kind of centered around like the, the, um, the computer element or like the technology element, right? That people fishing and this kind of stuff. But, but back in those days, it was completely different because we didn't have computers and everything was personal. So you would be attracted or, or uh, you would, you might be, have somebody be, um, you know, stop you on the street or in an elevator and somewhat innocently like get, getting you like in a social situation. And then pretty soon, you know, who knows what they get you so, going so actually do. you bring up you know so technology so actually if you look back at the at the inventions at the time developed for this uh for this trade craft it, it's pretty amazing you know the mechanical engineering was at its zenith so when you look at actual cameras forget the kind of film and cameras we're talking about actual film cameras brought down to a size that you can you know do this with some of the some of the, the tiny machines made by hand were actually pretty pretty astonishing um you know the radios that they had to fit into certain places without this miniaturization that you have today it really came down to tiny gears uh, well, you, well you know something that is interesting john is that they would have all this technology to or they'd have to refine technology to be able to make it kind of disappear you know Right. And again, you're dealing with uh, the law of physics at the time. I mean, the law of physics are consistent, but the, the mechanical craft at the time, you know, to, to actually hire, hide a wire. Or speaking of Berlin, they, they had the, uh, the museum about uh, folks sneaking across the wall. It's right on Checkpoint Charlie, Checkpoint Charlie Museum, whatever. And they go into the folks in East Germany who made things to sneak over the border. And of course, you had like the family that made their... Uh, um, balloon, which took off from the roof and so over. But you also had a family that literally, I think, they rebuilt an engine and they made the engine in a car so that the engine, only two cylinders worked and there was a huge cavity that, I think they had two hours to cross before the person got burnt to death. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact was in their basements, they were, they were making this crap, so, yeah. That's great. The, the history of how uh, suddenly Berlin was cut off from the rest of the world is just, I mean, it's just fascinating, you know? They shut down the train system overnight. And people yeah, right, absolutely. Families separated right. Uh, completely yeah. right away. Yeah. There's a, there's a book I'm reading um, about German generals, a fascinating book, psychology behind it. But um, they were talking about a, a number of the Germans, uh, generals, officers, when they came back from the Russian front, and retired from the military when they were like in 1944 and retired there um, or were on their way back when the when literally the, the Russians came in. And so, uh, you know, I'm on the front for four years and I come back and now for the rest of my life, I can't see my family. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy, it was a crazy time that <clears throat> in the way Germany ended up divided up. And then, you know, equally how quickly the wall came down when it came down is is another it's like a one-day event and really surrounded by somebody in government in east germany making a uh an unapproved announcement that they were just going to allow people to cross the border by accident like it was an it was an incorrect memo that he sent out that allowed the border to be open really yeah 
Well, you know, it's interesting, John. So, so that kind of, so that kind of falls into another interesting film that that I think was based on fact, and because it had Tom Hanks in it, it's much more um, serious. And they try to stick, I guess, probably as close to the the novel or the real experience. But I, I think it was Bridge of Spies. So in Bridge of Spies, he, they they the the, the spy that was going to be um, exchanged that they the the Russian spy that they had. He was doing the, you know, he was just living an unassuming life. He was like, nobody knew. He was just some guy, but he was like a colonel in the Soviet military. And he'd been in the States for years, kind of just as a plant. And then he would, when he was, when he was passing, making his film or, or getting his little microfilm, he'd put it like in a nickel. Um, right? right. And, and right. so he had to break open right. this nickel and it was really meticulous and took a lot of time. And, and even when he got caught, he was just nonchalant because he knew eventually you know he was going to be done but it was really interesting that they used checkpoint charlie of course and all of the intrigue and they had to use tom hanks character as a, like an intermediary um somebody who need who really that both sides thought they could trust but neither one of them could trust them right and he ended up kind of screwing them at the end with uh because he wanted to get that agent out or that, that. yeah so i i think that was a great movie um in terms of uh, you know, I think the the general population in the U.S. You know, these are wonderful stories. I, I you know, this is a great conversation, great talk. And it, what's sad is that you know the vast majority of Americans have no idea about Checkpoint Charlie and whatnot. And it, therefore, it's for all the flaws in the movie, it's a good thing that this movie comes out, and the population is a little more, you know, knowledgeable about our own past. Well, well, I think that that's and 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 the and so bringing that so that's actually a good way to kind of bring it into today is that the things that you see today in this subject matter are either completely outlandish, like the Born the Borns series, which actually were great novels, um, you know. But um, I think that was John Ludlum, right? Didn't John Ludlum, or was it John Locke? Right. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, Dogs of War, The Spy Who Came In from the Cold. These were all great books, and right. they really were. And so, I think they had just simply had to update the Born out of the Cold War into modern day circumstance. But, you know, it's one of these movies where you know we we all agree that it's fiction, and we have a good time. So, you know, they're they're enjoyable. It's no different than James Bond movies, which I continue to go see, even though perfectly fanciful. You know. Well, except of course for for the for the um, the more days in the, of the seventies when oh. it was completely <laughs> those just are, a big, those are <laughs> big <Bond> joke. <laughs> <laughs> those are Monty Python. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, I, I I was just thinking that this is these are this is kind of like a fun subject to kind of touch on, you know, because it gives us the ability to kind of you know reach back into our own time capsule and look at how the world has changed so much especially because today we hear about this stuff every day on the on the news about you know with china you know you know stealing information or proprietary information and 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 companies or people because they want money um you know and a lot of this stuff is sanctioned by our by our governments which you know 30 years ago they never would have been it would have been it just wouldn't have become so mainstream and so normal that people don't even um, think about it anymore. They don't even, they don't fantasize about, about 
about it. It's not glamorous. In those days, the movies that we watched and the, and the, and the books that we read about the spy craft and all that was, was intriguing and it was very um, romanticized, right? But today, you don't hear about that. I mean, it doesn't have that same kind of escape. That well, I, think we're, I think we're, a, we're at the end of a cycle. I mean, I, you can go back to the, a number of ridiculous movies, The Man from Uncle and whatnot from the you know, 60s and whatnot, where you know, it was brought to a ridiculous format. But I, I think uh, you know, we're at the end of a, a run. We've had 20 years after 9-11 of uh you know movies made as close as they can uh to being documentary-esque the whole feel of i was there this is the real format and you know speakers and books you know about what actually happened but i think that especially in the last couple of months or so i think we've turned a corner and you know i i think um military's had its run i don't mean in a in a bad way or good way i simply mean that you know, it's it's probably akin to the 1970s, where you know it's been two decades of of uh, of, of fighting, and the population is turning more into a, another direction. That's that's really interesting. So, it, overall, when you when you say that, John, what do you, like? What do you mean? You see the population turning in a different direction, and the military has had. Like it's good to run. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I, th I think first of all, the, the boomers are, and I'm a boomer, are retiring and becoming less influential. And, you know, the, the populations before us are becoming larger in number and therefore more influential in media and politics and consumer habits and things like that. And when you look back at uh, any World War II, when it ended, the, the, the things that carried on after World War II, you know, epaulets on styles and things like this, uh, French perfumes, Italian fashion, because America was recently introduced to these things. And that lasted for, for a couple of decades, as well as short haircuts. Then Vietnam happened. And after, after a, a period of several decades, the population is, is weary and, and frankly bored. So if I were to come out um, and write a book right now about, uh, I don't know, Iraq 15 years ago, I, as a participant, you know, and I'm not saying I was, but any participant of that might still be living in that moment 15 years ago, whereas somebody 20 years younger might go, I hardly remember it. <laughs> think back, right. think back in the 90s of the Vietnam vet, and nothing against Vietnam vets, I have the utmost respect, but I recall as a teenager in the 80s, and to me, Vietnam was a zillion years ago, even though it was only 10 years before, even actually five years before from right. the complete in 1975 to when I graduated high school in 1980, it's only five years. And yet it was a zillion years before. And in my mind, didn't matter. So today there are kids and not just kids, there are people in their thirties, early forties, twenties, who 9-11 um, is, it, could, it might as well be Pearl Harbor. Yeah, that's a good I, well, I mean, that's, that's exactly true, right? So people who, are serving in the military, people who are enlisting in the military today may not have been born yet when 9-11 happened. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's a good and, point. and so that like defining, uh, that was certainly a defining moment in my military career, right? 9-11 happened, I was five year, four years into my service, right? I was a, right. I was a Lieutenant JG when it occurred. And, uh, and so that, that defined like that defined my service for the remainder of my time in the military. Right. And right. I think, I think the people that are joining the military now, like 
they're joining the military in this COVID outbreak, right? So they're having a completely different experience of how the military works. What is it like to deploy? How do we, you know, run ships and how do we run our military units to prevent like disease from spreading in the unit, right? Like it's something we never even considered. So it's, it's a very, very different experience. And, and, and just also the cultural appreciation for the military. I mean, I, I go back to the movie Stripes in the 1980s and, you know, this is before Top Gun came out <laughs> where the, the attitude in the population was the people who joined the military was kind of like Bill Murray and Stripes. <laughs> well, yes. because they were. Because they were. That's actually perfect because um, Joe and I have talked about it before. Um, you know, when I went, in the, when I was going in the military, like today, the Air Force is arguably the hardest to get in, right? And, and, and they're, because they're so selective. Oh my God. We're going to talk about how amazing the Air Force is. No, no, no. What about no. Space Force? Let's talk about Space Force. Space Force. I do like that. <laughs> but, 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 well, I wasn't going to say, I'm not trying to glorify how great it was or bad it was. I'm just wanted to point out that today, they would have never accepted somebody like me. Uh, you know, I was a high school dropout, and I was lucky enough that I had a, an, enough brain cells to get me through a GED, and, and I passed it. And they had lowered their standards so that, so that people could get in because Vietnam was only a few years earlier, and people, like you said, John, the, 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 the American culture had had enough. The, the people weren't going in the military, so they were doing anything they could to get people to come in. Now, that changed you know, it started to uh, like evolve a little bit, get a little bit, a little bit more serious. But, but by the time, like after 9-11, you know, it was a serious world, right? Yeah, so, so first of all, let me just say that uh, you're, you're not, you didn't drop out of high school. You simply surpassed the expectations and what the high school could do for you. So let's just... <laughs> I don't remember it that way. I remember it was more of an ultimatum, but you know, but I, I, read, the, I read the tea leaves and moved on. But, but, but the requirements of the military were also far different. I mean, uh, you know, you went to Europe in the 60s, even when I first got there, um, you know, you had millions of people over there and the expectations were, you know, casualties on day one were going to be hundreds of thousands of people, you know, so. Yeah, so, 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 so I, I think we're, we're at about our um, half hour mark here. So, um, so I, I, I really think that's kind of, what I got. I'm, I'm thinking that um, this was a kind of a fun conversation to have. I think you guys would agree. Um, hopefully people watching it will be intrigued a little bit by our discussion, but, um, but, you know, even the most lighthearted kind of talk can, um, you know, is a serious one. Let's so, go yeah. first. I was going to say, let's just go for full circle, which is, yeah, this has been wonderful. Everybody go who hasn't done it already, go back and look at your uh, VA benefits and, uh, Get your housing benefits. I did want to ask John who that dude looking over his shoulder this whole interview has been. <laughs> oh, this is this is our house guard. So I picked this up in Africa. See all the nails beaten into him. That's the pain he's willing to take to protect your house. So I, I oh. keep him here in this Those room. Are nails? That Those is are nails. Crazy. He's been beaten. They're beaten into a wooden statue. Um, yeah. That's so. So that's interesting. So do you, so Joe, cool. don't you have, don't you have something like that, that, that protects your, your home or no in Hawaii? I a, you must have. I have a, I have a rooster 
that I have for guarding my home. He's no, in the other kidding. room. <laughs> I'll so, bring him in next time. So, um, so yeah, so I think that this was a lot of fun. Um, Joe? Hey, I just want to say thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us for Veterans Voices with Joe and Steve-O. We appreciate you listening. If you have any uh, feedback or comments, please hit us up in the comments section on YouTube or Instagram or Twitter or whatever social media preference you have out there. Yeah, so um, John, any parting thoughts? Oh, thanks for having me on. This is fun. Yeah, right, right on. So, so hopefully, you know, we'll be able to, we'll, if, if you're into it, we'd like to probably have you again. And th this is a lot of fun and we move along. So, okay. So that's, I think that's it, right? Yep. Thanks everybody. Hey.